Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blister Podcast on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Well, it is time once again for Cody Townsend and me to review some of the outdoor industry news of this past month. And per usual, we have some very important and some very stupid topics to discuss today, as well as the most Canadian news and a great mountain town advice question. As always, you can submit your mountain town advice questions either through a DM on social media, or you can email us at info at blisterreview.com. And one more thing, the show Succession is back. Many of you know this is kind of my and Cody's favorite thing, maybe in the world. And so we do briefly talk about Succession Season 4, Episode 1, at the top of this episode. We don't need to put any spoiler alert warnings on that, so if you have not yet started the new season, you can listen without having anything spoiled. But then there are spoilers galore at the end of this conversation. So for anybody who has yet to watch episode one of season four, you might want to bow out at that point. But also, what are you doing? Go watch episode one. And as of last night, episode two has now dropped. So, you know, catch up. Anyway, fair warning, lots of spoilers on episode one at the end of this conversation. But you are safe at the top of our conversation. Finally, before we get started here, a reminder again about our Blister Plus Spot membership that comes with $25,000 worth of accident coverage, accident insurance. So for any of you listening who do not currently have insurance or have a high deductible, something in the $3,000 or $5,000 or $8,000 or $10,000 range that you have to pay for before your insurance coverage kicks in. Well, every week I just get more and more reminders of the importance of this. I've heard from several people this week who have said, yeah, yeah, I need to sign up for that. I just haven't gotten around to it yet. Sign up before you get hurt. That's how this works and how you benefit. And our very own Luke Kappa this weekend, once again, had something happen to him while skiing where turns out it's a very good thing he had this Blister Plus spot coverage. So Luke is doing fine, but on our Gear 30 episode this Friday, we'll have Luke on to have him share exactly what happened. And folks, things happen when you're skiing or mountain biking or snowboarding or you're out in the backcountry. And having this inexpensive Blister Plus spot coverage can save you thousands and thousands of dollars and also put you in a position where you actually go seek out treatment that you need for injuries rather than convincing yourself, well, I'm not going to go to the doctor or the emergency room because I can't afford it. So anyway, we will include a link to our Blister Plus Spot membership in the show notes of this episode. And again, folks, we just want you to be covered so that when you get wrecked, 
you don't also get financially wrecked. And now let's get to my conversation with Cody. And Cody and I recorded this conversation. It was late Wednesday night this past week. So there's been a little bit of time elapsed before our conversation is dropped, which is relevant, I suppose, when we talk about Gwyneth Paltrow. So anyway, keep that in mind and enjoy the conversation. Well, Cody, hi. Hi. (laughs) We're back. (laughs) We're back. Look, we might as well just say it. Our show is back on. Succession's back on. So we've exchanged some communications about that. Uh, We're excited. But we're going to save the succession talk for the end. But other than that, you know, you've been in Switzerland. I don't really know what else you've been up to. Why don't you fill us in? Yeah, I mean... Been in Switzerland, but the main thing I've been thinking about is I've been kind of working on this new startup lately. Um, it's kind of like <laughs> it's kind of like Substack meets Masterclass <laughs> yes. meets The Economist meets a New Yorker. It's like <laughs> clickbait, but for like smart people. And we've got the ethos of a nonprofit, but a path to like huge fucking margins. What do you think? Are you in? So I'm in. I'm so. in. Forget what I said about uh, leaving succession to the end. When Kendall dropped that, I was so happy. I was like, I couldn't be happier right now. And I I texted you about that. And and actually, you wrote me first and you're like, I'm watching season or I'm watching the season opener. And I was like, don't say anything. I'm not getting to it for a few more hours. But uh, I was like, oh, it's so good to be back in this world. So good. I don't know. Sorry, I had to drop that. We can save it for the end so we're not boring everyone with just succession talk and we can actually talk about outdoor news. But yeah, uh, just got back from Switzerland, was over there with um, Elise, Indy, was there with Jackie Peso, Randy Barkerid, and their son Tor shooting for the movie that they're working on. Have we, We've kind of talked about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, a little bit. Um, and it was cool. Like we absolutely nailed the weather window, like couldn't have been a better timing for the two week period we were there. We just didn't nail the year because it was like the worst (laughs) snow year ever. And so like no amount of snow could have healed what was going on there. I mean, it's pretty sad state of affairs across Europe and we were in Andermatt, which was high, but it was just so dry that there was like absolutely no snow. And when it did snow and it snowed quite a lot, everything was just like super beyond touchy. Everything was avalanching. So we were relegated to groomers and like pretty low angle terrain and just staying off anything steep. And yeah, I mean, all in all, though, like a lot of people were like, why the fuck are you going to Europe and Tahoe continues to go off? And there was two things to it. One, you go to Europe and you're going with your family. Like, it's still cool. Like, just skiing in Europe and the food, the culture, just mainly like the ski culture is really good in Europe. And just being out there, it's awesome, no matter what. So in that regard, it was totally awesome. Um, and then too, like right before um, we left for our trip, I had actually, yes, the deepest day of my life in Tahoe. And that was just absolutely blower. So kind of felt like I was like, well, that was a good way to send off the Tahoe season. But, uh, but it's not stopping here. It just snowed another about 12 to 18 inches at my house. So it's just continues to snow it's ridiculous Hmm. what do you imagine i mean palisades i suspect is going to be open through the fourth of july yep 
do you suspect they'll close it down after that? Because, I mean, the snowpack, they could definitely not shut it down, I would suspect, but... Yeah, I mean, it always depends on how warm all of a sudden the spring gets, but as it stands right now, yeah, they could definitely upper mountain and certain chairlifts could be running after July, but... And even at that, like, it's going to be only like weekend operations at some point. They just released their full schedule. I can't recite it off the top of my head. But all I can say, though, is that having skied on July 4th on in the past of Palisades, it's really fun. Like, it's summer. You're out in shorts and a T-shirt. Everyone's up there. It's like, it's pretty cool. So, um, you know, as much as I think people do they want a break here. Everyone's backs are tired. Their shovels are broken, spending thousands of dollars extra. Like, I mean, I uh, recently read somewhere that there's been 300 buildings that have suffered structural damage that have caused some sort of like either evacuation of the house or closing of the business, or there has to be a, a rebuild. But it's just like, it's crazy the amount of snow that's going on. And there's nowhere left to put it. Like, you just can't throw it any higher or any further. Every street is like a one lane street. And you pull into our local Safeway. And, you know, the parking lot is about half full with a 40 foot tall snow embankment. <laughs> and like, the mainly is just snow filled and there's no parking spots anymore. It's pretty, it's pretty wild. Have you been to Switzerland before? Yes. Plenty, tons of times. Plenty. It was my first time in Andermatt though. Okay. Yeah. You were psyched on it. You're like, this place is rad. Yeah. Like maybe I shouldn't be saying it, but no, that place is amazing. Like it's so sick. Um, super good free ride zone, very empty, um, tons and tons of terrain. There's these two trams. You take up like two trams to the top and it's like, it kind of reminded me of like Palisades in this way where it's like, there's just, everything's kind of under the tram and you just do quick traverses to like really rad lines. It's like super good free ride terrain. And again, there's super little people out there. So, um, really amazing spot. It looks like I'm going for the first time in like probably June, maybe end of May, but June, but I'm really, really excited to get over there. I've never been. So cool. Yeah. Uh, not going to ski, but um, yeah, going to check out uh, how, how the Swiss do it. Yeah, no, it's a uh, Swiss, like the mountain culture there is strong and the mountains are, you know, it's like when you spend time in Chamonix, it's obviously a valley, but you kind of driving into the mountains. There's so many places where you feel like you drive into the mountains and Switzerland, like you're just kind of like in the mountains most of the time. And you're in these tight valleys with just massive mountains sticking out of them. It's just, it's yeah, the Alps are pretty insane in Switzerland. Well, speaking of great mountain cultures, we got to talk about Atlanta because on our last reviewing the news, I actually don't remember how or why, but we started talking about Atlanta and you were like, no one in Atlanta listens to reviewing the news. And I, I said, Hey, listeners, I, I, I was like, I guarantee Cody's wrong about this. Please hit me up. I've received at least a dozen emails or DMS from people in Atlanta. They're like, Hey, avid listener, big fan, tell Cody he's not right about this. And then they, they're, and I promise I, I still need to do this. So my apologies all, to all our dear listeners in Atlanta or 12 of you or so. I still need to send the emails, but I'm trying to figure out because I don't want to presume that everybody who's reached out wants to be connected. So I'm, I'm slowly like being like, you cool if I connect you with the others. And so the Atlanta reviewing the news, listening parties, it's, it's going to happen, Cody. 
That's and awesome. I, see? Yeah, right? I love it. I like Atlanta is actually one of the few big cities that I'm like really, really wanting to go to. Um, it just seems like such an epicenter of culture these days and like yeah. and food and just like, I don't know, it's there's something going on with it. It was like my actually my cousin got married in Atlanta um, last year and it was literally the week that um, Indy was born. And it was like, we were so bummed to miss the wedding because Elise and I were so stoked to try and go out to Atlanta for the first time. So shout out to our Atlanta um, listeners. I'd like to get there for sure. Yeah. And I, I, I've spent a little bit of time there, not nearly enough. And uh, so another, yeah, Switzerland and Atlanta need to spend more time in two of these places. That's one thing I've realized is like, traveling America, I need to do more of like the Western mountain States have been all over them, but like the rest of the States, like it's a big ass country with a lot of different culture and a lot of different things. And it's like, I, I really need to do that one day of just like going and experiencing America for what it is. Cause we, we do live in different pockets and this is a big country. So, um, one day, one day much to do. Okay. A story that somehow I think the whole world knew about except me and you, this Gwyneth Paltrow lawsuit about skiing. I I literally didn't know about this till like 24 hours ago. And this is this happened in like 2016, I think. Jesus, really? Yeah, I well, uh, I no one quote anything that I'm about to say here, but I think that's when this actually took place. That was the intel I got. And, you know, we were kind of scrambling to like, all right, we're time to record this. And and you're like, do we have everything? And I was like, should we talk about this Gwyneth Paltrow situation? And you're like, well, I don't really know anything about it. I haven't read anything about it. And I was like, how how have you and I both missed this? Well, no, I've heard about this a lot. Like I've been okay. seeing a ton of headlines about it. Right. I have been very purposeful to not read anything <laughs> about it. No. I, like I, as much as I, I personally think like, yeah, we could do a thorough and in-depth like skiers point of view breakdown of this. Yeah. Like I have personally just revolted from every headline of it. Cause I'm looking at this as like, so it's, I, I, don't quite understand, but it's a lawsuit and they're like kind of both suing each other. Like one guy's suing for like millions and Gwyneth Paltrow suing for like a $1. But it just, <laughs> all of it is like, to me, terrible people doing something very trivial and suing each other. So I've been purposely avoiding it. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I feel like we've really dropped the ball here. I feel like, I feel like we should very much be weighing in on this. And now we're going to be like a month late on this. But are we though? Because you said the thing happened in 2016. Another oh. month? <laughs> this thing's <laughs> okay. gonna go on for the next 10 years right. at this right. pace. Right. right. Maybe reviewing the news. This is like uh, I don't know. It'll be like the OJ trial or something, but uh we might need to start recording daily podcasts. I mean, it could be interesting to get like, you know how they bring in expert analysis, like yeah. what of our expert yes. analysis of this? Like maybe, maybe we could lend an ear to this. Maybe one day we will be called in as experts testimonial yes. in a, some major lawsuit versus like Robert Downey Jr. who crashes into someone at Sundance or something. I don't know. Yeah. And what are the odds that this trial is happening in Atlanta? So then we could be like, hey, we're like kind of industry, you know, experts. And then we could go weigh in on this trial. Also get some time in Atlanta. We're killing like 
multiple birds with one stone here, I think. We that's that's quite the dream scenario. I mean, <laughs> I maybe it's like, yeah, next month, maybe for the good of the audience, which man, I just struggle because if I don't find it interesting, maybe other people aren't. Well, but wait maybe a second. we should maybe we should do a deep dive though. Maybe we should do yes, a deep dive. Because you I we were about to hit the record button and and you were like, Well, I haven't read anything about this. I was like, Well, neither have I. In four seconds, I found this incredible video with some dude who I want to find out who this guy is, Dr. Ivan something or other, who I'm like, I'm not sure this dude has ever skied ever in his life, uh, just given some of the things he was talking about. Like, we need to, I think, at least break down some of that video and sort of figure out what's happening here. But All right. Well... <laughs> I guess next month I'm diving into something I don't want to do. <laughs> this this might be our last episode of the reviewing the news. Cody's like, this is we've jumped the shark. We might have, but uh, this also could be really entertaining. So okay, um, we'll we'll pass the buck for now and uh, move it on to the next topic. Yeah, we're kicking a lot of cans down the road so far. Um, succession talk, the Gwyneth Paltrow lawsuit. But what should we actually talk about here? Something more on the serious side. Um, okay. Intersecting things we talk about a lot, um, mainly with climate change and climate change development and green energy and whatnot. But this was a story from the High Country News, um, which is continues to be just such a good news magazine for the West. I really, really enjoy it. Um, but the headline is, Green Colonialism is Flooding the Pacific Northwest. The Yakima Nation is fighting a pumped hydro storage development near Goldendale, Washington, but it's just one of many. And the article goes into essentially this fight that the Yakima Nation has with the uh, development of, yeah, a hydro dam. That's, they, they summed it up right there. But um, it, it to me is like representative of a lot of headlines we're seeing these days. Um, you know, there's everything from Thacker Pass in Nevada, where there's a proposed mine of, I believe, lithium. I'm not entirely sure. Um, and then even things like scientific development on Mauna Kea that's been protested by um, Native Hawaiians. So it's kind of like a touch point these days, and I think it's going to continue to be. So I just kind of wanted us to weigh in. I mean, did you, yeah, what was your take on the article overall? I want to be careful with my take because I don't, I don't feel like I've digested it and and I'm seeing all the angles. But for the sake of just kind of thinking through this, on the one hand, one of my takeaways or thoughts was, if this feels a little bit like meet the new boss, same as the old boss, it it shouldn't maybe be this massive surprise that when we're trying to create new energy projects where there's going to be a lot of money involved, that um, some of the same steamroller tactics, and I actually kind of mean that figuratively, not literally, but maybe it kind of works both ways, that we're going to see some of the same stuff, right? Just because some of this might be cleaner tech, cleaner energy. It would be a kind of a category mistake to assume that a kinder, gentler energy source is going to come alongside a newfound respect for those who were there before. 
Um, so that's one of them. Totally. No, it's it's a really good way to say it. And it kind of leads me into like, you know, one, there's this fight and we're seeing it more and more between environmentalists and climate change advocates. And like, you'd think those are one and the same, but they're not. And they're fighting different fights. Um, you've seen it in solar project developments um, in Nevada and the protection of species. Like I believe there's a desert turtle that environmentalists are suing over. And so there's this kind of this feeling, I guess, as someone that's like, looking at climate change as an existential threat to humanity, you're like, no, just get this bill. We got to be switching over. But like, we can't, as you said, just switch bosses, like switch the the same tactics, but for something that is in, in, in essence of much better energy form. But, you know, ultimately, like, we have to think about the fact that like, in climate change advocacy and trying to change the the way we use fossil fuels, that humans are the priority here. Like stabilizing the climate isn't about, you know, preserving some sort of norm for the earth. Like the earth is going to be fine without us. Um, it'll be drastically changed. Animals will be drastically changed. But we're trying to preserve a climate norm for the betterment of humanity. So in that process, we cannot forget about like the human side of this in terms of everything from jobs to land development, mining, tribal rights, and land rights. And we're going to encounter some tricky barriers, you know, like everything from tribal sovereignty um, to things like jobs. Like when you read about the, the the high paying jobs as a coal miner in Alabama and how those are some of the most lucrative jobs you can have. And if you just tell those guys like, nope, you're done, that's going to destabilize people. And you have to figure out a plan as we do this massive shift for the people involved. So that's the one thing I like the first takeaway is like, we can't forget about the people during this process. Yeah. And I just think, you know, now for our international listeners, perhaps they can just let us have a sort of in-house conversation about the United States. But given the atrocities that we have inflicted on indigenous people in this country, my God, if we're still not respecting tribal sovereignty like we don't we don't get that option in this country i would say you know what i mean to be like well it's really important and it's going to have a big impact in terms of um cleaner energy so we're going to kind of steamroll once again like no at some point at some point and like you know a couple hundred years too late that's got to stop and i don't think anybody ought to feel justified in trampling lands, peoples, the rest, and claiming, well, yeah, but our new development will lead to more jobs. That's not that's not all right. We're way, way beyond that, like centuries beyond that. Totally. No, and there's been a long history of this. And that's it's even in a really interesting graphic image that's on the High Country News article. And it shows where wind projects and solar projects have happened in Washington. And you look at the map and there's, I would say from just like estimating it, 80% of the wind and solar projects are on Yakima Nation seeded lands, which were lands that were essentially stolen from um, indigenous peoples, which then gets me to what you're kind of going on is like, you kind of see these days, if you follow 
you know, Native American outdoors people. And if you're following kind of tribal issues, there's this like land back movement and that uh, you are on stolen land, the stickers and the hashtags and whatnot. And there's this weird thing where it feels like in a war, if you win a war and you just like surrender your land, then it's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. We're all good. Like everyone's hunky dory, which is a really weird way to make it. But this whole concept of like stolen land and seeing on that map, the seeded land, it's stolen because it was like legally stolen. Like there were treaties that took place between these political groups, which are what these tribes are. They're sovereign nations that made treaties with America as another sovereign nation saying, hey, this is going to be your land. And then immediately after they started doing that, now we've had about a 150 year history of just chipping away at that and taking that land back for no other reason than we wanted it back. There's a very infamous case of it um, in South Dakota when essentially the um, the tribes in South Dakota ended up the Lakota had the 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 Americans couldn't they couldn't beat the Lakota in battle, so they were like, well we're going to call a truce and call a treaty. And then they gave them all this land. Well, it was within a few years, they struck gold on their land and then immediately took that land back over. So it is stolen land. So there is like what you're saying, this long, long ass history of just trampling on native land for whatever reason we feel like. And I'm seeing this going through just in the fact with, in the name of green energy. And we, we can't do that. Like, Find somewhere else. Like, you know, the the Yakima Nation in this article really say that this land is very sacred for some of their traditional foods and first foods. And one of the reasons they want to preserve this place is not only to preserve it, but they also would have to legally say what those foods are, what those seeds, berries, nuts, whatever it is that grow on this land are. And then that will become public document. And because some of those first foods were huckleberries and now kind of huckleberries have become a thing that is like mass marketed in the Northwest. They feel like, Hey, you're just going to steal this shit again. So it's just this, like the deeper you go into reading about indigenous peoples on this land, the just, yeah, I, the more I books I've read about, I'm like, Holy hell, like America colonialists have treated the people that were here first, like absolute garbage. And we need to know that like when you're reading headlines like this, don't just like revolt and be like, come on, that mountain's not sacred. Like, I don't know if there was um, the the key to everlasting energy under, let's say, Mount Rushmore. Would America destroy Mount Rushmore to go get it? No, that's like sacred to America, most likely. So it's like, no, these mountains are sacred to people. These lands are sacred. We can't just go in there and develop it in the name of green energy. Well, listen, on a not altogether unrelated story and topic, our friend Connor Ryan, actually, it sounds like put this on both of our radars you pulled up a link. This is a CBS News. Another a number of other outlets have covered this, but recommendation to change name of Mount Evans to Mount Blue Sky now heads to Colorado governor's desk. And, um, you know, as we just have been talking about, hey, we need to reverse certain practices and trends that have been very long standing in this country. I thought that this was really interesting. And in a way, to me, no less interesting is that, yeah, 
Connor Ryan, Solomon Skier, put this on our radar and has been somebody in the ski community that has been very outspoken about this. And I think that's fantastic. I love that Connor is shining a light and and speaking loudly about some of these things. And in this case, uh, it is about returning the name of a mountain here in Colorado back to a translation of sort of the original name. Yeah. So like, yeah, Connor turned me on to me to this as well. And, you know, it's just one of these kind of examples of, so Mount Evans, it was named after the second governor of Colorado. Sounds great. Cool. We named it after the second government of, uh, governor of Colorado. He's historic, but, um, John Evans, the governor, was ordered the Sand Creek Massacre, which was a massive slaughter of Native Americans, a Cheyenne and Arapaho. And you just kind of like, not even from the perspective of a Native American, from an Arapaho that could feel the pain ancestrally of looking up at a mountain and it was named after someone that ordered the murder of your ancestors, but just from even a completely like innocent by not innocent bystander, but just outsider's perspective, you're like, well, that guy sounds like he sucks. Why should we name a mountain after him? And then it goes on to like, to me, I've kind of always said it. I was like a lot of the indigenous names uh, for the mountains and the places in America are just cooler, <laughs> like way cooler. The great one, the mother of water, when they translate it to you, you're like, oh, that's cool. Not named after some dumb politician um, at, at the most innocent or a horrible person like John Evans. So it's I haven't seen much uproar about the change of it, but I'm really stoked that someone like Connor is taking up the mantle and doing a huge part of this renaming process. And then here it is sitting on the governor's desk about to get re-signed. So um I don't know. It's 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 a cool thing. Like I look look up to someone like Connor because like he kind of gets shit done. You know, we see a lot of advocacy, but like he actually does stuff, and it's really cool to see, and it's really inspiring. It really makes me think of like how what can I do that's outside of doing a stupid Instagram post that actually creates positive change for for people and for places. Yeah, and and just to kind of make sure we're a bit up to date at this point in time when we're talking the governor has recommended that the name be changed and now it needs to be that needs to be formalized before a board so another important piece has happened the governor's recommendation on this and uh so we look forward to uh hopefully seeing uh this formalized very soon oh. and uh moving on to the next topic um, we're going to be doing back to a little bit of Blevins Corner, which we've kind of uh, not ignored purposely. We just found a lot of interesting articles out there, but one of our favorite journalists in the outdoors, Jason Blevins, um, from the Colorado Sun. This is, um, you know, we've been talking about things like the Shred Act uh, lately, but I've realized there's actually quite a lot of legislation um, related to the outdoors um, in in government right now, in our federal government. Um, and this headline is to bolt or not to bolt. Federal proposals to ban climbing anchors spark a wilderness climbing outcry. And so from my understanding of this, um, 
there's three major parties that are talking about the issue of climbing and putting in fixed anchors, so permanent anchors, drilling bolts into the rock and leaving them there for climbing. Um, there's three parties. There's obviously climbers uh, who are mainly being represented by the Access Fund. And then um, there is the federal wildlife managers. So there's the National Park Service and the National Forest Service. And then there is Congress. And all three have different things. And what I'm seeing is that the Congress is putting together an act that potentially makes it so that permanent anchors and climbing is protected in wilderness areas. Federal managers, the National Park Service and the National Forest Service are saying are against that bill because they want the decision to be up to them. And then obviously climbers are advocating for just keeping things almost as they are, which is the fact that you can put bolts in wilderness areas. And as I've tried to like sum this up, it's just trying to figure out like, okay, like, what side do I feel like I'm most on? What do I think is the best solution? And who has the best argument? So to me, like climbers status quo versus National Forest Service, National Park Service versus Congress. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Oh, man. I I honestly don't know. I don't actually have a take on this one. I don't feel nearly close enough to it. It would be very easy to say something like well yeah let's just minimize impact and you know we'll uh we'll get more you know trad climbing going out there but man i sound like somebody who who doesn't do a lot of sport climbing which would be true yeah and like i definitely feel icky about bolts mm-hmm, like they exactly. just kind of feel weird to me yep. about these bolts and all these super bolted routes out there and like there definitely needs to be some sort of management of it to being like you just can't be throwing up like both anchors in the middle of the wilderness i will say on the flip side as a climber it's really hard to see bolts <laughs> like someone that has gone off and you look at these the topos these route maps and then you're like going up it and you, you know these bolts should be six to 15 feet apart and you're six feet away and you're like where is this bolt so it's like the bolts impact on the wilderness is actually pretty minimal um erosion they tend to wear out pretty quickly and just kind of fall out of that they're going to leave a scar or they're going to leave a hole in the rock whether that reforms a third mud whether that erodes off itself in the future i don't know um but i've always felt a little icky about it but at the same time you're like well climbing is like such an amazing sport to access the wilderness um it is thing that should be preserved it is a thing that should be it its impact on our world is as minimal as it gets so while i think there needs to be management i would say that the national forest service and the national park service having management of it scares me the most because although I do think that regional management can be the best in this way. Um, Regional, like there's already been places in America on Forest Service land where they say like, this is wilderness, you can put bolts here, but not here. And that can make sense for a certain area. And I think that's really smart. The, The fact is like National Park Service and National Forest Service people, we don't get to vote on. They're hired employees. Having dealt with them, 
lot of them are in there for the entire right reasons. They they are in there because they love the land and they want to work for it. But at the same time, having run up against certain people with bad attitudes that kind of want to just squash everything and not do any work, you can run into one person who's not elected in any sort of way that you have no say who is there that's just going to shut down all access, that's going to run that park like it's their little kingdom. And that's what kind of scares me almost the most. Um, So having some sort of congressional law that kind of protects it, but then moves into regional management, I think would be a really good thing. Um, So I'm kind of for the congressional bill of protecting it, while also then allowing for some sort of regional management. Because again, I've just run into people at parks that you just you don't want to run into. And if they're going to have that sort of say, like a one person judge, jury and executioner, and the public has no say in who that person is, like that kind of sucks because again, this is public land. So it's it's an interesting story to, to follow because it's going to have some pretty wide ranging effects, I think. I think it's going to have some precedent on other activities out in, out in the wilderness. So um, yeah. And and as we've talked about in other conversations, I mean, we should use public lands, like we should recreate, right? And so I, before I start getting too many angry emails from climbers, you know, like, as you've said, I mean, <laughs> bolts are not these massive eyesores. By the way, the history of climbing, this this is not some new question, right? I mean, you go back to um, decades ago in climbing and there were people ripping out, you know, fixed gear, you know, anchors. And so this has always kind of been part of the, the question, but I, I agree with you that it's like some bolts put up in places is quite different. It's not like we're cre- putting strip malls, you know, next to... Yosemite. That's not what we're doing. It's hard to even see these things. There's very few places, let's keep it to this country, where it's like, oh my God, this place used to be cool and now it's no no longer recognizable because of all the thousands of climbers, right, that are just kind of taking over the area or the traffic jams on a Saturday morning due to all the climbers. And so, you know, you and I have talked about like we should have these areas where people can go um, to do their thing. And as people who like to recreate outside, I don't think either of us are like, yeah, that's silly. No, no anchors, you know, no gear left. Everybody should just trad climb or shut up. Like that's not our stance. No, not, not in the the, the slightest. Like I just, like, again, it's just kind of this weird thing. Like, trust me, I, I have a conflicting kind of emotion about it. I'm like, I've always felt weird about like drilling into rock and putting in this pink sanctuary in this beautiful place. But then at the same time, when I've been climbing and you see a set of fixed anchors, you're really happy they're there. Thank God someone, (laughs) thank God someone bolted that. Yeah, yeah, totally. But again, there, I just, there does need to be regulation about it. Um, I I like your kind of notion that it's not like we've ever walked into a place and been like, damn, if it wasn't for all these bolts, this place would be beautiful. Like (laughs) Yosemite, there's like a handful of climbers. You're like, no, it's the 
tens of thousands of tourists that are coming in in their cars and just like taking pictures outside their cars that you're like, Jesus, we got to figure this out. So it's a really minimal thing um, in the in the long term, especially in geological time. And I think, again, climbing is not only good for people. I do think it's good for the land. I'm, we've talked about definitions of wilderness in here. I think the definition of wilderness means that people should be on it, not that definition of that, like, no one should be out there. Like, humans are meant to be in the wilderness. So if this is a way that we continue to get people in the wilderness, then I'm all for it. Where do you want to go next? Oh, let's see. Let's see. Um, so... Moving into more lighter topics. Um, this is a video that I kind of saw going around um, on the social medias. And of course, because it gets on the social medias and it's inflammatory, there's a lot of takes about it. So I wanted to bring a little bit of take uh, from us on it instead of like a Instagram caption. Um, can we actually play the audio? There's enough audio in this. We should probably play it in the pod. Try it. Try it. Step, as I said, non-negotiable is hand me your pass. That's what you're required to do at this moment. And then we're going to have a good conversation, and this is going to end pretty nicely. It didn't start very, very no, nicely to begin with. Okay, so when I came up seeking medical attention yes. for my arm, but that I what you need to understand was that I was dealing with it. And I understood that. No, you did not. I sat there. I stood there, let you finish your radio call, and then you immediately told me. Go away, I'm busy. And yes. I said, I understand. I was dealing with someone who is way more injured than okay. you. Okay, and it's I called said, triage, and sometimes we that. have to do that. I you understand. do not have a life threatening injury. I understand. Hand me your pass! Wow. Now! Wow. Hand me your pass! Wow. Yes, wow. You're not listening to me. Hand me your and pass. And you won't listen to me. I will as soon as you hand me your pass. No. We can have a conversation. No. All right. I'm going to respectfully ask you're you not to get being out of my face. Okay, and I'm asking you to hand me your pass. That's what you're required to do. So hand That's it over. That's fine. Hand me no. your pass. Okay, what's your take on this, Cody? So well, in summation, um, this article is a ski patroller from Palisades. Uh, as it's titled, uh, Ski Patroller Chews Out Skier at Palisades Tahoe. And it's this interaction between what seems like a pretty young kid, maybe in his teens. I'm a really bad judge of age these days. You know, <laughs> pretty much if anyone's under like 25, I think they're like 16. So I don't know how young this kid is. Seems pretty young. He's the squeaky voice. And then there's the the patroller, who I actually know. Um uh, I've known him for quite a while. Um, I can't say I'm like friends with him or anything, but just know his name and know who he is. And this guy's getting an altercation and just verbal, not physical at all. And then, you know, it crescendos with the patroller kind of getting in this kid's face and yelling at him to hand over his pass. And a lot of people I was saying were seeing were being like, oh, this is a bad look for Palisades Tahoe. Oh, this guy completely stepped over the line yelling at this kid. But like looking at it as someone that one has been yelled at by patrol a lot in my life. And when I was <laughs> this age, thought kind of patrols were assholes. Like as much as the patroller kind of did step over the line in many ways, like God getting in his face and yelling like he did, maybe a little uncalled for, maybe some better de-escalation tactics. But ultimately, the kid was being a little bit of a prick, in my opinion. And, you know, you can hear it from the patroller saying, like, he's dealing with someone else with an injury who has what seems like a much more severe injury than an elbow scratch that this kid has. He's kind of telling him to look at his elbow scratch. And then the way the kind of kid is just talking to him has that kind of 
that like provoking mentality. And then lastly, he's refusing to give him his pass. Like the fact is like that pass, you are on Palisades Tahoe property. You are not entitled to be there. A patroller employee can take that pass at any moment. So if you act like a little asshole, you, you have to give up your pass. And this kid refusing to do that is essentially what enrages him. It's just kind of like, I don't know. Everyone thought it was a bad look in Palisades. I was like, I don't know. This kid's kind of a little smarmy. Seems a little prickish. Okay. I really want to see like the 30 to 60 seconds that precedes this video. Which there is no video. There was an right. interview with the guy and they just started recording. But I agree. The, the context before is pretty clear or pretty key. Pretty key. Pretty key. Because just on what we're seeing... I'm on this kid's side. Mm, interesting. And now if that kid was like, hey man, and given grief, like, dude, get over here. I hurt my elbow. One, this kid seems like a colossal wuss. For That's my biggest criticism of the kid. <laughs> so like, he might be a colossal wuss, but I really need to see if he was, because I, I don't actually think the kid was being a prick in this video. Dude, none of us want to give up our pass. That no. that's like the that's the like last move basically that it's like I'm you're kicking you off the mountain. And so that's why I think we need we need to see like 60 seconds what preceded this video 30 to 60 seconds before and benefit of the doubt to the patroller, the kid was like being a whiny jerk and that's why I'm inclined to say this kid's probably a wuss. But um Without that, it's hard for me to weigh in. The other thing is, I mean, God bless patrollers and medics and EMTs and the rest dealing with this winter. Well, that was what I was going to go into, too, is contextually, like, my neighbor is a patroller. Like, by February, I just remember seeing him, you know, I'm out shoveling and I'm pulling out and the guy's like red eyed and exhausted. Yeah, like completely. Palisades throws more bombs than any ski area in North America. They are dealing with high stress environment of patrolling and trying to stabilize a mountain in one of the most unstable years you could ever imagine. So these guys are exhausted. Like the, the women and men that are out there, like throwing bombs is gnarly. Like there has been deaths from the bombs at Palisades, multiple, like to go out there in these storms and to throw, to try and do these control, being up there at four in the morning every day. And it's just like, yeah, like contextually, like I could see why this guy is like screaming in his face. He's like, do you know what I do every day? Do you know how much shit we have to deal with? And you got a scraped elbow and you're trying to chew me out. So like my benefit of the doubt, like, although I do think it was maybe a little uncalled for, but like the context of the season, like, dude, like, don't be like take a take a breath because these these guys and gals are overworked yeah but like the let me see your pass that's not to check an id that's to like kick the kid off the mountain and from what i'm seeing in this video that's not warranted not always though i've definitely like many times about to show passes and just like give they give it right back i agree it's really a, oh yeah for the, sure the only time i've ever had to show a pass i did not get it back oh yeah no i've, I've definitely gotten it back <laughs> um yeah so i agree though most likely it feels like you're getting your pass taken but like at the same time like there's 
the times I've had my past taken when I was a kid, it was sometimes it was just like handed back. Like they just want to see your face. They want to see your name to see like, oh, is this guy pulling up in our register of someone that is kind of coming up over and over? Two is then see if it's valid and then they might pull it, but you'll probably get it back that afternoon. Like they're just going to the majority of the time I've gotten it back that afternoon. There's only one time in my life that it's got my pass suspended for like a week. And I don't even remember why, but I don't know. Like, I, I just, I think in, in this essence, like patrollers stepped over the line. The context of the 30 seconds before is needed, but the context of the year to me is a little bit bigger. Part of this, I just have PTSD because some years ago in New Mexico, I got my pass pulled for a week and I was crying and I just drove to Utah. Like I got in my car at the ski area and drove straight to Utah for the week. And it was real traumatic. And that's why I'm I'm sort of on the side of this whiny kid. Uh, uh. If if uh, I think there might be some of that, some of, you know, I, I want to give, you know, the proper context here, but... Uh, and this yeah. is coming from someone that has had my pass pulled at least 10 times. Like, <laughs> yeah. like when I was a kid, I got my pass pulled all the time. So like in me siding with the patroller on here definitely comes from knowing these people, knowing they live in our community and knowing the context of the year. But it's like at the same time, there was a long time I was like, like that kid and was just thought patrollers were kind of assholes. And <laughs> like to sum this all up, I will say that Palisades Tahoe released a statement. Um, and it's like, what is not captured in this video that is important to know is that this interaction ended well with the two parties shaking hands and agreeing to the resolution. So Aww. it all kind of de-escalated okay. in the end. But um, which I like is, it. Yeah, totally. A good story. But I had to weigh in because there's a lot of social media fire and I just wanted to give the context. Okay. Well, I'm glad I'm glad it ended well. You know what? Sometimes angers flare up. Yeah. But I like to see that on Snow, we can resolve our differences, and uh, there we go. <laughs> you want to go to a story that didn't end well, uh, well in my opinion? <laughs> <laughs> that's our that's our transition to this? Yes. Okay. You read what we currently have in our doc. <laughs> no, there's no article related to this. There's no. no hyperlink. It just says, the Alieska dick. We had Eric write in. He shot me a note. Jonathan, one of your Girdwood listeners here, officially submitting the Alieska Wiener for reviewing the news. I'm sure it's on your radar, but this behemoth was the talk of AK and the front page story of skiing for a solid week. Thanks for all you do, Eric. Well, thank you, Eric, for making sure that the behemoth Alieska Wiener was on our radar. <laughs> So if you don't live in social media land and you somehow did not see this, I'll describe this for you. So at the top of Alieska, so <laughs> the top of the top chair doesn't go to the top of the mountain. There's what's called the head wall. That is another uh, thousand feet to 15, 1600 feet above the top chairlift. And ever so rarely, they will actually open a big hiking trail to the top of the head wall. It's been, they'll do kind of short sections. I've been there when they've done like half openings of it, but to the very tippy top, oh man, it's got to have been over a decade. Well, yeah. Some heli skiers, I believe, flew to the top of the mountain and then proceeded to stomp 
a giant phallus. Like, I mean, we're talking like hundreds of feet big at the top of the mountain. So essentially, almost from every point in Girdwood that you can see the mountain and any point you're skiing at the top of the mountain is just the shape of a giant phallus in the snow. And of course, that was all over social media. And I really want to thank Len Nessifer, who I think really blew it up and made a lot of memes about it. And then we just started seeing like, I don't know, for the next week, everywhere you went, there was like giant dicks stomped in the snow. There was one in Superior. There was some, there was a great one done by some snowmobilers in like Cook City, I believe. Like it was just everywhere. We had one here in CB on Red Lady Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. Good good job. Wieners stompers. Yeah. But I will say like, it was kind of a fun flash in the pan. I don't know why drawing dicks is funny. Other people probably doesn't think it's funny. Probably people that are far more mature than than I am and have a maturity of humor that doesn't degrade to laughing the hardest at fart jokes. But uh, I thought it was hilarious. And I will also say that I got to give credit to Bjarne Solin, my cinematographer, because I linked back uh, to in some of the social media posts to our 2015 film when we went to Svalbard. And there's an iconic scene of Anthony Bonello getting this like amazing sunrise, sun, uh, sunrise shot out of the drone of our camp and the mountains behind it. And the night before, while doing Bear Watch, um, Bjarne had stomped a giant dick in the snow outside of our camp and completely ruined uh, Bonello's amazing amazing, beautiful, scenic shot of our camp. So um, shout out to Bjarne for being way ahead of the curve. But up ahead of the curve. (laughs) Wow. That's a hard hitting segment people expect from us here at at reviewing the news. So glad we delivered once again. To further devolve into (laughs) whatever it is we do here, it's time for the most Canadian news of the month story. Cody, what do you have for us this month? According to this story, BC has a serious problem. So British Columbia is in deep, deep, dire uh, straits. Uh, They're just, they're, I I don't know. It seems like it's a huge issue. And that goldfish as large as a football are rapidly cloning themselves. So keeping in our theme of kind of Canada having crazy wildlife, Here's an even more crazy wildlife story. Like, I've definitely heard of goldfish and large ones, but the fact that they're cloning themselves, that was new to me for sure. Um, So, yeah, these football-sized goldfish um, taking over BC lakes. Um, If they didn't have enough animals like pine martens and and beavers to worry about, now football-sized goldfish. The football-sized goldfish are going to get you. We're going to all remember when people used to go to Canada to ride mountain bikes and ski, and now it's just going to be infinite piles of football-sized goldfish everywhere. Totally. I mean, it's just like everyone's going to be wanting to fish for salmon and trout and, you know, the legendary uh, steelhead trout of the Skeena River and just be catching footballs of goldfish. What are the odds this is just absolutely not true? Did we stumble upon, like, the onion or something? 
Well, I mean, I'm always, it's always hard to gauge a news thing because this is the National Post and there's so many media stories that like from weird sources and National Post seems very generic, but I'm yeah. pr- I'm going to say this is legit. This is, uh, I mean, uh, you know, it was talking about Thompson Rivers University is in the Canadian press, like um, Invasive Species Council of BC is investigating. This is, no, this is serious. This is, uh, Canada's got some issues. I think there's like an 83% chance this is just completely fake. No way. We have giant goldfish in Lake Tahoe. Do they not require males to to spawn? Did you not read the article? It's talking about that. They're well, literally... this one does, but yeah. this is the fake article that isn't true. <laughs> so I I've never heard that goldfish. Yeah, this is I'm being sent up right now. I don't this think is, I Cody's don't think like so. I'm just throwing in Onion articles now, and Ellsworth's gonna be like, and then he's gonna be like, You dumbass. Goldfish can't be the size of a football, and the females can just reproduce with the help of minnows. This, yeah. every, I, okay, I'm now up to 96% that this is a fake story. That's where I'm at. Well, I don't think this is, but you've definitely given me a really great idea for the rest of this Canadian news <laughs> segment. <laughs> Uh, yeah okay it's basically just like it'll be now like how stupid is jonathan that will (laughs) that will be the monthly and then like people can weigh in on like will he get it right or wrong and like yeah place 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 their bets yeah totally it'd be like some saskatchewan man befriends wolverine (laughs) in lonely cabin and yeah marries marries a wolverine exactly beautiful humanoid wolverine children um okay well that's our canadian news yeah the canadian wildlife scene even though i'm still going with that story is false and uh i want to hear i need to hear like wildlife experts they need to write in and be like no this is real i also want to see a goldfish the size of a football i need photos from one of our listeners Mm. Maybe some of the Atlanta listeners can go on vacation to British Columbia's, hang out there, take some pictures of these football-sized goldfish, send those in to me because I trust those people. But this National Post, that's a fake news organization as far as I can tell. Listen to Mr. Trump over here, fake news. (laughs) (laughs) Well, have you ever seen a football-sized goldfish prior to this article? Not in person. I've definitely seen like like we I've seen pictures of giant goldfish and we do have them in Lake Tahoe. There's this environmental catastrophe called the Tahoe Keys. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It's just like they tried to create this one little section during this like kind of marshy swamplands of Lake Tahoe. And then they wanted to make like a Venice like or Everglades like housing development. Well, it's turned into just an environmental catastrophe where, you know, toxic blue green algae blooms and just like the the whole thing is infested with algae and now all these things like giant goldfish can live there. So it's been an absolute catastrophe since it's ever been in there. So no, I, I fully believe it because I've seen it here in my backyard. By the way, that would really be a great new segment, the what could go wrong? Oh, yeah. Question mark segment. <laughs> and then we would definitely need people to send us in stories, but like, yeah. What could go wrong? We'll, we'll see if that gets any traction. Okay, time now for Mountain Town advice. We had a person write in who asked to remain anonymous, and this is her question. Dear Cody and Jonathan, 
One of my best friends and I have been butting heads a lot recently, and our issues were highlighted this winter on a ski trip. I'm a woman in my 20s, and my boyfriend and this male friend and I have all been ski buds since high school. A few years ago, my boyfriend and I moved out west and have been skiing a lot more, while our friend still lives far from good skiing and isn't able to get out as much. This year on our annual ski trip, the gap in our skills became evident for the first time, and that caused some tension between us, but he doesn't seem to have that same tension with my boyfriend. Pretty much, my friend will frequently snap at me if I make any suggestions about what trails to take or correct something to do with safety in the backcountry or even disagree with his assessment of the quality of conditions. I brought this up to him to ask if there's anything I can do differently to avoid upsetting him, and he didn't give me any action items for improving, but said he felt like he just needed to work on not getting offended. Of note, he acknowledged that things my boyfriend says don't upset him. I'm worried that the root problem is that my friend is insecure about me as a woman being a better skier than him, but I don't know how to bring this up to him or if it's even true. I think it's possible that if I can bring up my suspicion that he could actually work on addressing the underlying issue, but it's more likely he'll get defensive and angry. Any thoughts on what to do here? Thanks. Interesting. Very, very interesting. But something that I feel like I've seen quite a lot in my life, um, not as much from my perspective, but definitely from my wife's perspective and her, you know, when we had friends before when she was dating before we had met the that interaction of women and men and men being very threatened by other women who are better at them in sports. Um, it's very real. And it definitely, in this instance, I would say that that's probably the root issue. There can be some other things. There could be some, you know, inherent jealousy of just, you know, not getting to ski as much. Um, there could be, you know, at the most joking side, it could feel there could be some sexual tension there. It could be friend zoned or ah. something like that. Mm. You know, there could be just, I don't know, he has always talked to you differently than maybe your boyfriend and other people. Maybe just almost feels more comfortable being emotive to you than somebody else. But I mean, at its core being, you know, the context of seeing in your 20s, this gap of all of a sudden moving away. And then, yeah, no matter what, I would say you're probably getting better at skiing than this other person. I do think that's some of the underlying issue, um, which brings me to like my kind of the first point in this, like this is what's kind of damaging about perpetuating stereotypes for men and women for men to be labeled as just better athletically than women, I think is inherently false because like, no, like my wife skis better than 98% of men out there. So to say like, oh, just cause you're a man, you're like, oh, I could, you know, if I worked at it, if I lived there, I could be better than you're like, no, she's incredibly athletically gifted and incredibly strong and has done things on skis that 98% of men would never do. So like that, that notion I think is damaging to 
especially young men in particular. And in this instance, like relationships, like the way that we frame that of saying that men are better at sports than women, you're like, well, maybe at the most elite levels, but even in certain sports, you could like when it comes to endurance sports, there's like very little gap um, in ski racing. Sometimes there's actually quite a little gap. So I, I just first want to move ourselves away from that stereotype because I think it's both damaging for men and for women. Yeah. And, you know, the the first time I read through this, you know, part of me wondered, OK, well, look, we shouldn't go into the backcountry with like just anybody like the communication skills. You and I have talked a lot about this. People have different communication styles. Sometimes we might find that a certain friend just rubs us the wrong way under certain circumstances or in certain situations. And that's totally fine. You know, like we don't have to be all things to all people all the time. But she does say here, we have all been ski buds since high school. So I, I doesn't sound like they were all going into the backcountry back then. So it sounds like we're making some assumptions here, but it sounds like there didn't used to be this same dynamic uh, that she's describing now. And that might point to, well, one, I think you've already touched on. I mean, maybe one of the most charitable things to say is the guy's kind of bummed that y'all are skiing a lot more than him. You've gotten better. He can see the progression you've made. That's not his situation. That is different than moving to this friction or tension is coming because you are a woman. So maybe, maybe the advice would be to kind of ask about that part of it. Like, Hey, we've been having this static kind of, he sounds like she has talked to him a bit. Is it because like, I'd get it. Like if I was home and I didn't get to do this as much as we now get to do it, is that the thing that's maybe causing some of the friction and if at that point he's like, no, I don't really think so, then maybe it's time to be like, well, dude, is it, is there something going on? Like, because I'm a woman, is that what we're getting at? And, and the reason I would ask is because I kind of have a policy personally with friends, say what you have to say. Like if it's in real friendships, I don't believe on walking around on eggshells, you know? And there are ways to say things charitably and there are ways to be like, hey, there's some friction or static here and I want to talk about this because I want to get on the same page because both sounds like both parties acknowledge they're not on the same page. And if at that point, dude's little ego is too fragile and he doesn't want to hear it about how he's bummed out because oh, you know, you, his friend, is now better at skiing than him, you know, there's other friends to go get in the world. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree in that. I don't think jumping to this kind of potential gender gap is the best way to start out. Um, Not to start. Yeah. Because there there's a lot of other things that it could be. And I think starting with something of being like, hey, like, I don't know, is there something just going on with you being like not getting to ski as much as we do is there is there just some underlying feelings there or just you know things of that nature and like you said if you're it's a if you're true friends that's going to survive that kind of thing um and then and 
moving to this gender issue, I think, is one of the last things you move to. You want to search for everything other potential option because that at that point is going to bring up some stuff. If it is his ego, you might fracture that relationship. And if at that point it does fracture that relationship, then then that's probably the course that the friendship was going to go. So just know that like if you, that could be the consequences of going there to start with. Yeah, but then it might be worth fracturing. 100%. If, like, do you want to be friends with a dude who's like, I'm bummed because the this woman is better at skiing than me? Totally. Like that, that guy can pound sand. I mean... Totally. And that's what going back to this kind of like this stereotype and stuff. If this guy's living his life that way, then like, then there's some other things that need to happen before he's going to feel comfortable with that bringing, getting brought up to him. I mean, this is, I again, think this is part of those damaging stereotypes. So I would try and find other things like, hey, everything at work, good. You've been skiing as much. I mean, it's been a terrible winter. Um, Back east, I forget, just, yeah, moved out west. So back east, and maybe just guy's a little rusty. Maybe it's he's like this gap in evidence and skills. It's like maybe he feels it and is just bummed that he's just, it's not a competition thing. It's just like he's just bummed with himself. Like he's just been like, man, I can't ski as good as I used to. You know, it's like maybe that's the root cause. So I wouldn't, to me, I wouldn't go there quite yet. I would search out other things being um, uh, what other issues could be making it so that he's getting snappy with you. And then again, going to that last thing, like if you go out again and you go out into the backcountry again and does this again, then don't go in the backcountry anymore. Because as we've talked about before, communication and teamwork is as absolutely essential to safety. Do not go into the backcountry with this person anymore. Go ski the resort, be friends out there, make that hard decision because your life, your boyfriend's life and his life depend on really good communication in the backcountry and it has to have that sort of hard line. So, yeah. Just to let's beat this drum a little longer because as we've talked about, if, if she is now feeling like I'm not going to say something because I'm worried about upsetting him, that is, a, that is a like, then you just took yourselves out of backcountry partners. 100%. If anybody is feeling that way for any reason, you got to not do it and go find people where you don't feel that same level of like, I'm, af- I'm afraid to actually speak up. And I would say, I mean, all of us need to operate that way. And it's a good chance, once again, to ask, like, well, when you go out with the people you tend to go out with, do you ever hesitate? And if if the answer is, yeah, I, I don't speak up, it's not just your own safety, it's everybody's safety that's now in play there. And... Um, okay. Yeah. I think that's, uh, I think that's it. The, la- the last thing is I was thinking about this. I, I think it's a real privilege to go whether it's mountain biking, climbing, skiing, any of these things with people who are better than you or are more familiar with an area or are better at reading conditions, like how great, you know, like that's like great. You get to go learn and bounce questions off them and the rest. And so I sure hope this isn't the personality type that the dude likes to be right and likes to weigh in all the time maybe when he doesn't actually know what he's talking about, you know, and I also just thinking about the men and women who I know, you know, female and male guides and incredible 
female and male mountain bikers and skiers and the rest, like, and runners, like being able to just be out with people that are better than you, like you always are learning stuff. And it's like, that's cool that they're willing to let me be out with them. Learning opportunities. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I also think that's the, the advice of men of our age and men in your twenties. There's a lot more ego. There's a lot more proving. Um, I, I still kind of feel like this is, you know, at its core, like, I don't know when you do a sport and you don't feel like you're doing it to maybe potentially your level. And that could be the case. Maybe hasn't skied as much because it's been a, t- a terrible year. Like that bums me out more than anything. If you can't do it to your own level and maybe that's like the root cause of it. So, um, I, I, you know, especially again, going back to just being men of their twenties have a different personality of men of their forties, because I agree with you when I get to go out with people that are really good at something, it's like a special, special treat. So anyways well hope we helped you out anonymous (laughs) yeah and for the rest of you send in your mountain town advice questions i mean hopefully you thought we did all right on this one folks we'll see what you all send in for next month all right cody let's do it it's succession time it's succession time we did it once where we published right for open mic like our text exchange about succession I was like, my God, are we going to like just do this every time? Because you actually, props to you, had a lot of smart things to say about season four, episode one. And man, maybe I'll just start by saying, Jesse Armstrong, I don't know who you are, but you're really freaking good at writing, like like all time good, you know? And I I kept saying how season three in particular, the last season felt Shakespearean to me. And it's like, dude didn't really miss a beat he didn't miss a beat it's incredible yeah it's like the the first thing that i took away from the show i've watched it twice already the first this first episode (laughs) yeah um is the fact that like you just want to hang out with these characters which is amazing because they're awful people (laughs) but like the just the dialogue the one-liners the fact that this is such a like comedy wrapped up in a tragedy and just like you just hanging out with these people again is just it's so fun um but what i was really like taking away from it which is like almost why i think they're doing four seasons so if you look at it like the first season was all about kendall trying to take over even though he's tried to take over every time but it was really kendall centric the second one was very shiv centric the third season was very um uh, very Roman centric. And now we're looking at what if these kids worked together for the very first time? And I think the main storyline, I think there's going to be some twists and whatnot, but the main storyline is like, can these kids work together in front of their monstrous father, um, who we talked about as being, he's just like, he's such a King Lear kind of character when it comes to Shakespearean, like that, that, diner scene of contemplating his own mortality for the first time, being alone with his best pal, being his security guard. His paid security guard. The Grim Reaper, who is like that, just being alone in your castle while your kids are on the entire other side of the country. I even liked the way the cinematography, like the New York scene's very, very dark and lonely. And like the 
LA scenes where they put out the kids are all like bright and light and airy. And there was a certain like kind of joviality among the kids actually hanging out together for the first time. Um, it, it was really, really interesting. And then just like uh, on the second rewatch, you just see so many other little details that I almost like didn't even, didn't even see the first time, but, um, every line of dialogue in that show is really key. Like when you kind of go into the, the Tom calls Shiv to let him know he was hanging out with Naomi Pierce and it's kind of, kind of led as this, like they're separated and this is potentially part of their open relationship, but really like that's this call sign to the fact that he was both alerting Shiv that his, the person who he's now aligned with Logan is trying to buy Pierce, but then also trying to, I don't know, he's playing both sides right now. And those little lines of dialogue, you're like, oh my God, that little moment that lasted a minute and a half is so crucial to the story. And it's just like, yeah, again, Jesse Armstrong is a a genius writer. Um, I, I, main thing I've been trying to think about is like the pantheon. Where does this live in the pantheon of TV shows? And, I main thing I've been thinking about is that in the like when you when we talk about media, which I guess we're part of, which are like, you know, Yellowstone gets far more viewers, like 12 million viewers an episode, and this gets two million, but in a cultural conscience, like everyone talks about succession because we're college educated elites that love to talk about this kind of stuff. <laughs> but um, but uh ultimately, like in the Pantheon, I think like the Breaking Bads, The Wires, and The Sopranos were more groundbreaking than this, but I kind of almost put this as the most fun show of prestige to ever watch. Like, it kind of goes in number one category for me, while also going in, like, five, like, as the greatest show, because if you're talking about, like, context of, like, oh, Sopranos, it changed TV forever. Breaking Bad was, like, the ultimate like slow methodical character arc that I think was genius. And like those have bigger kind of storylines in the context and succession doesn't have that. It just has an amazing cast and amazing acting and amazing dialogue that makes you want to watch these people do terrible things to each other. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, staying on that, like the, the, the goat conversation when it comes to shows, I mean, Look, things that tend to move the needle in popular media, lots of violence and or lots of sex. So a show like Euphoria, for example, on HBO, we kind of hit the the sex, sexy, titillating part. Succession isn't about sex or violence, not physical violence. So Sopranos are Breaking Bad You never quite knew when someone was literally going to get bludgeoned to death or had their brains blown out, which grabs your attention. To me, that goes back to the master writing of the show, not to diminish the acting performances at all. I don't want to do that at all. But when you're like, wait a minute, so we're not going to murder here and we're not going to be showing just a bunch of nudity and like we're playing the sex card. Succession's not using either of those tropes, go-tos that tend to keep viewers going. It is it is a masterclass in writing and 
character dynamics and the rest. And by the way, when you say that this is like the most fun, this first episode was about fundamental human loneliness, right? I mean, by the way, you didn't mention Logan leaves his his birthday party, his birthday party. He doesn't want to hang out. None of the people he cares about are at his birthday party. His children are on the other side of the country, and he ends up leaving to go with a dude he pays to protect him, and he's like, you're my best pal, right? We're pals. It's like, no, you're not. You're not pals at all. So, and I mean, the stuff with Tom and Shiv, and I mean, we're just, this is like some real fundamental existential human loneliness that this show is kind of exploring and yet it's also somehow super fun like what is happening no and that's what i that's why i'm saying like it's fun to watch but it's like because you're both like absolutely entertained but then absolutely like the fact that they ended with the tom and shiv scene laying on the bed in absolute silence where there's almost nothing gets said and like when in the show is nothing gets said. It's like kind of witty dialogue back and forth. And like, it, there's a powerful scene to end on. And so they do a really good job of bringing you back and forth and back and forth from just like, this is hilarious to holy shit. This is again, that Shakespearean tragedy. Um, I mean, Logan calls his own kids. And when he, he like, you can tell he cares. He's talking about why isn't there a cardinal at my birthday party to make it seem prestigious. But he, he calls his kids like he asks about them by calling them the rats. Where are the rats? And like the only good Tom is of to him is to talk to his wife. And it's just like it it is like this really dark show dressed up in this incredible fun like, dialogue that is just so witty and comedic. Something else. Yeah, I mean, to me, it's um, perhaps because that the show doesn't lean on violence and brutality. If they uh, land this plane in a way that I, I, I'm just fully confident in, uh, in the actors and in the writing, to me, it's going to be number one or right there mm-hmm. um, because of the achievement of of not going to all the popular media instruments we have. Yeah. The the sex, nudity, violence, et cetera. It's incredible. So anyway, one, I guess we should have, I'll say it in our intro, like spoilers. (laughs) We'll say that now. If you listen to this podcast and are not watching Succession, what is wrong with you? What are you even doing? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'll I'll, I'll try to remember to say that in the intro, but um, I, I hope other people who listen to this are enjoying that show as much as we are. Cause it's, it's, uh, it's something else, but you said you just dove in to another show that I have not watched at all. And so basically I just selfishly want you to tell me if you think I should get in on this, but what show are we talking about now? Yeah, an older show that I I kept always hearing, like the first season of True Detective, one of the greatest seasons of TV show ever. And then like mixed reviews from there on forth. So I actually started watching. And I want to give some context to the audience too. I'm watching a lot of TV right now because I'm on like my 26th sickness of the 
freaking winter, which is really hard to be a professional athlete that's sick all the time. And God, I love my son more than anything. He is the fucking greatest joy of my life at, at this point. But he is one cute little Petri dish and we are just sick the entire time. So the whole family's got some sort of stomach virus. So I've been doing a lot of TV watching. But so I dove, dove into True Detective and um, halfway through and I didn't want to say too much more about it other than like so far it's living up to the hype of like an amazing season of TV. Um, yeah, Matthew McConaughey, like we see kind of Matthew McConaughey and some, I think, I don't know. I think a lot of his acting plays is very similar character and or it ends up being a pretty sterile. Like he just, he has this Texas drawl and he he talks well and, you know, the, he kind of is, He's Matthew McConaughey in this movie, in this TV show. You know it's him. I, this is his best piece of acting he's ever done. Like, you you don't think it's Matthew McConaughey for a lot of this. And I, there's a huge testament to that. And Woody Harrelson's amazing, too. And it's, yeah, so far, um, kind of, obviously, it's a detective show and it's dealing with crime and murder, but that's not what's driving it. It's a lot about the the human side of these two detectives in what they do. Um, so, so far I'm, I'm, it's moving up the list for me. Let me ask this question. I'm always fascinated why a person with all the TV shows that there are out there to watch, all the films out there to watch, great films to watch, good TV shows to watch, great books to read. To me, I always feel like the weight of like, all right, I'm moving in and I'm actually going to commit to like a new show or film or book like why this one and not the infinite number of others that could be chosen so for you what got you to get in on this as opposed to something else yeah just i like one of those things like when you there's people in media that i've learned to trust a little bit and you know i those sort of things when you hear like just it dropped love being like oh the first season of true detective as a comparison to something and you keep hearing that being brought up and you kind of just like well i gotta i gotta watch this one day you know there's there's only so much that you can watch but i'm pretty happy that i'm watching this and it i think it really goes into like trusting the people that you start to listen to and or read and whatnot um and finding that you like what they like i think both you and i are both chris ryan and andy greenwall heads and i'm pretty on point like just about everything they've highly recommended i'm pretty on and they've brought up true detective and i, I i'm kind of aligned with it right now Except Andy Greenwald loved the movie Tar, and I, I've got a real problem with Andy. It's the first major disagreement I've ever had with Andy in my life. Yeah, you haven't you haven't watched Tar yet? I haven't have watched you? it yet. Yeah, no. yeah. Okay. Last question, hard question for you. I still haven't watched Better Call Saul, which you we had a rating system. Whereas if you called something a ten, or if I called it a ten, the other of us would have to watch it. Are you telling me to watch True Detective or finally get into Better Call Saul at this? Let's say we get off this podcast and I go watch one or the other and I'm I'm in. I'm going to go through one or the other from start to finish. Where would you have me head at the moment? Well, it's hard because like Better Call Saul is like, you know, it's climbing Mount Everest, you know, yeah. it's a big, big endeavor, I think. 
is it five or six seasons? I totally, I totally spaced the number of seasons, but it's a big commitment. And True Detective so far is one season, which was part of the reason I was like, well, I could probably finish this pretty quick. There's, there's two. No, there's actually four seasons, but they're oh they're very different, gotcha, like different gotcha. characters. Like Colin Farrell's in the second season. I think Mashar Ali is in the third season. So, so it's kind of like I've just heard True Detective season one is really good. So I was going to watch that, but. All things being equal, regardless of commitment, I would say Better Call Saul right now. It's like, uh, here's another thing, too. <laughs> so the last season of Net of Better Call Saul hasn't been on Netflix. But when mm. I went to France, I was able to download it all because it was available there. So uh, then I watched most of it through. But when I was on my flight home from France, the one I could get COVID with, the last two episodes I downloaded got all messed up. And so I never finished him. So I was really looking forward to going to Switzerland. And as soon as I got to Switzerland, I downloaded the last two and watched the last two just as of the last couple of weeks. Because like, just to see how they land the plane metaphorically. But I think Better Call Saul is, I, I don't know. It's that same sort of thing. It's pretty, I still think about that show. And I still think about the characters. And I think the character arc, and there's people out there that will say it's better than Breaking Bad. And I actually, after watching it full through, I'm like, I could see an argument for it. I won't necessarily say that, but I can see the argument for it. I would entertain it for sure. How many of our hundred listeners do you think are still listening at this point? Yeah, probably like <laughs> three. <laughs> I bet I bet the whole Atlanta gang is still listening. Shout Atlanta. out to our Atlanta gang. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sorry, people, if uh, if that was too much TV talk for you, but not really that sorry. All right, this is what I think. I'm I'm not I'm not yet into like any sort of slow down season yet. So I'm thinking maybe I can get myself with the smaller commitment of season one of True Detectives, and then this summer we try to like I try to roll through like I suck it up, start climbing the Everest that is Better Call Saul. I think that's a like more realistic way forward for me. Yeah. Yeah, it probably probably is. I would say that's a good way to frame it because it's it's a big commitment. That's a lot of seasons. Yeah. What are you off to? You got anything cool going on? You just going to get sick 37 more times in the next yeah, probably. couple of months? Well, yeah. I'm trying to get healed to start doing 50 lines. And I'm trying to, honestly, I'm waiting for spring to fucking happen, but it's just still winter. So, um, but yeah, no, Bjarne's down in Reno. He showed up in town tomorrow. So I'm off into the mountains for kind of the next three months. It's go time for me. Um, it's going to be pretty much back to living out of my van and chasing lines and going on an expeditions from here until the end of June. So, so if we happen to miss a podcast, I'm sorry, but we will do my do my absolute best. <laughs> All right, don't no missing podcast. We need to keep our you know priorities in line because yeah. you know the fifty. Yeah. You could you could do that the rest of your life. I wish you much success much safety, and I hope that Bjarne surprises you most mornings by having drawn out a giant wiener somewhere in your vista. So uh, those are the th- three things I hope for you. What a great send-off. I love it. That sounded like some like ancient Irish send-off. <laughs> <laughs> so it's what we go for around here. Well, feel well soon, and uh, and good luck, yeah, as you get back into your, your, uh, your go season. Thank you, buddy. 
All right. Talk to you soon. Sounds good. Bye. And that then brings us to the end of this edition of Reviewing the News. I want to say thanks to Cody for the scintillating conversation. And mostly I'm just happy to have found somebody who never tires of talking about succession. So thanks, Cody. And I also want to say thanks to Taylor Ahern for producing this episode. But not only for producing this episode, but Taylor, I just feel like you won this whole past week. We had closing day yesterday here at Crested Butte Mountain Resort. It was an absolutely glorious day. But hands down, Taylor Ahern wins the Spirit Award for the entire Gunnison Valley. I don't know. That probably needs its own podcast. But Taylor was out and about in full force, rocking the white heart sunglasses, rocking the Davy Crockett outfits. Taylor won the week for sure. So well done, Taylor. And then, of course, I also want to thank all of you for listening. And if you are enjoying these conversations we have, then we always love hearing from our 100 listeners. And we would really appreciate it if you would leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And that just helps us keep this whole thing going and growing. And we've got some new things in the works, some new ideas. So your input, your feedback, that all really truly helps the cause. So anyway, that's what we've got. Thanks, everybody. And we will talk to you again real soon.